So I hope that you have been enjoying our series through the book of Ephesians. Do you realize that by the time it's all said and done, we as a church will have spent 13 weeks together in this real compact, short little book, which makes us like experts in the book of Ephesians, I hope, and that's pretty exciting. There's been some really good stuff, and as we continue on today, we'll find it, um, you know, at the beginning of the book, all those weeks ago, we talked a lot about what Paul wrote to the church there, talking about who Jesus was, what God had done, has done, and what that means for our identity, for who we are. And then the second half of the book, as we talked about, has been much more about, so how, does, how do we live that out? And so Paul has been talking to um, bosses, or he's been talking to, uh, he'll talk to boss and employees, I think, next week. He's been talking about husbands and wives, uh, which we talked about last week. And the natural next step after talking about husbands and wives is talking about parents and kids and what difference the role of God in our life makes for the way that we are specifically parenting our kids and stuff. And the parenting task is tough and it's difficult. Um, And it brought to mind some of the reflections and some of the insights that were recently given by uh, a very notable biblical and uh, biblical scholar and theologian by the name of Jim Gaffigan. So we've got some of his con- some of his comments for you here. I uh, recently became a father. Thank you. Became a father for the fourth time. Never as much applause on that part. No applause, right? Because after the third kid, people stop congratulating you. <laughs> then they just treat you like you're Amish. <laughs> Four? Well, that's one way to live your life. <laughs> Can you build us one of those wood fireplaces? <laughs> Four kids. Four kids. If you want to know what it's like to have a fourth, just imagine you're drowning. And then someone hands you a baby. (laughs) The good news is we live in a two-bedroom apartment, so I fought it through. I haven't slept in seven years. I didn't always look like this. I'm actually Puerto Rican. But the wear and tear of parents... I used to have thick black hair. I was muy guapo. No mas. No more guapo. Baby at home. Babies are a lot of work. I try and pitch in. I do diapers. I mean, I don't change them, but I go, you got to do this diaper. We have three other kids, too. A seven-year-old, a five-year-old, and a two-year-old. I should probably learn their names. Try and be a good dad. I sat the older three down, and I explained to them that the new baby does not mean I love them any less but I will have to let one of them go. So if anyone knows of a toddler rescue, maybe we could get Sarah McLaughlin to do the commercial. I will remember. I love that commercial. Even the dogs in that commercial are like, this is a little heavy-handed, Sarah. (laughs) They are just dogs, after all. There are still kids starving in Africa, right? I mean... I don't like that joke at all. Why would he put that joke in the special? Four kids. Bedtime is a crisis. That's why I'm here right now. It's too hard. They 
act like they've never been to sleep before. <laughs> Bed? What's that? No, I don't want to do that. <laughs> then it becomes some hostage negotiation. <laughs> but in reverse. Look, if you stay in there, I will give you whatever you want. I will meet your demands. What do you want, a helicopter to Cuba? Anything. Just stay in there. There's always one awake. Like they're taking shifts. All right, I'll annoy them from midnight to two. Who wants three to six? Now let's lie down and practice kicking them in our sleep. Because my wife has instituted this open-door policy where if one of our kids has a nightmare, they're welcome to come in our room and pee in our bed. <laughs> Luckily, that only happens every night. You ever slept next to someone that's wet the bed? Delicious. You're asleep, right? So when you wake up, your first thought is, oh my God, I wet the bed. Then your next thought is, ah, it's not that wet. I'll just, I'll just scoot over a little bit. If I pretend to be asleep, maybe she'll deal with it. Oh, I didn't even notice that. Hey, while you're up, can you make me a sandwich? Thanks, honey. Yeah, so that, and that's parenting, right? It's frightening, like, frighteningly like the real deal that way. And uh, it's, it's with some awareness of this that the Apostle Paul writes to those who are parents. But before just diving into the parents, he takes a shot at the kids, and we want to make sure that we include that as well. He says this uh, in the first verses of chapter 6. He says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment, and it comes with a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Now, i got to tell you, this is the easiest passage in the whole Bible to teach. It's really simple. Kids, do what your parents tell you to do. This pleases God, and it makes your life easier. And that's it. It sums it up that well. And, and the reason that this is the case, the reason that it makes uh, your life easier is because it's in the right order. Here's the deal. When you are completely dependent on somebody, the only right response to that person is obedience. Obedience is the only appropriate response for someone who is completely dependent upon another. Okay, so our kids, especially when they're younger and especially when they're smaller, right, are 100% entirely dependent. And so obedience is an appropriate response, the only appropriate response, really. And Later on, maybe we'll talk a little bit about how that connects to our relationship with our, lovingly our, our loving Heavenly Father and how we are dependent upon Him and how the only right response on our part is obedience to Him as well. But we're not going to spend tons of time talking about uh, kids and the obedience and encouraging them for a couple of reasons. One, it's just it's really straightforward. And two, um, most of the kids are downstairs in Sunday school. Okay, and, and the good news for us who are parents is that while they're down there in Sunday school, they are being taught to obey. They're, turning, they're being taught to honor God through their obedience. And those are great things. But they're not here, we're here. And so we'll look ahead at what it is that Paul has to say to those who are parents. 
He says, fathers, and if you're a mom, you're not being excluded, you're included. Parents, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and in the instruction of the Lord. Why do you think Paul starts and leads with, parents, don't exasperate your kids? It's because we, as parents, have a tendency to exasperate our kids. Um, And uh, even when we're not trying to, it just comes across that way. You know what was the most exasperating thing my parents did for me when I was a kid? They'd quote that first verse. Children, obey the parents. In the Lord, it's right. It's like, oh, mom, dad, be quiet, stop. Give me a break. But Paul sets up this idea that what we're not supposed to do is we're not supposed to exasperate our kids, but there's something else that we are supposed to do. We're to bring them up, he says, in the instruction and in the training of the Lord. And when you think about it, if you're going to look back at the end of your life in parenting and you were able to say, you know what I did? I, I brought up my kids in the training and in the instruction of the Lord. I feel like that would be a success. I feel like that would be a win. But that's a huge, tall order, isn't it? I want to say, thanks, Paul. That's a great idea. Where's the manual on how to do that? How do you actually pull that off? Paul perhaps was never a parent because I can't imagine uh, that he, having uttered those words, that he understood the scope of the problem of the tightrope that parents are forced to walk in doing their best for their kids, right? I mean, we want to make sure that we give our kids enough discipline. But we know that on the other side of that, there's this too much discipline that can create an equal problem on the other side of that. And we want to make sure that our discipline isn't so soft and gentle and tender as to be meaningless and have no impact, right? But we also know that if it's too harsh, it can be oppressive and create problems on the other side. We want our kids to achieve great things, and so we challenge them to be everything God's created them to be. But on the other side of that, we don't want to put so much performance pressure on them that they somehow perceive their very identity as having to live up to some bar or level of our expectations. We want to provide safety and make sure that they're never in harm's way, but we don't want to be too overprotective and hovering either. This whole thing about bringing them up in the instruction and the training of the Lord, it's a huge idea. It's a big concept, and it's hard to wrap our minds and our arms around. I'm reminded of, uh, of a time, the very first year I was driving off from home to go to college, and I was busy packing all my stuff up into my little Mazda GLC. Um, and I remember back then, back then we didn't have iPods and iPhones. We had these things called stereos, right? I know. Some of you, you were there. Good. Excellent. And we didn't have headphones that we put in our ears. We had speakers that were big and bulky. And in, in my mind, my stereo, which was two big speakers and a, and a whole big cabinet thing, right? It was all one thing, a stereo. And so as I'm packing up my car, I remember I stacked the two speakers next to each other. I put the stereo on top of it, scooped it all up, and it was kind of wobbling down the stairs, just about losing it all over the place. And my dad said, hey, you know, you don't have to carry all those at the same time. My dad had been to college, so he was already much brighter and well-informed. He said, in fact, if you carry those things down the stairs one at a time, you can put them in your car one at a time, and they'll fit exactly the same. My dad was an engineer, so I trusted him on stuff like that. And I realized that the way to manage that big thing that was my stereo was maybe a smaller section at a time than getting it all there. And that reminds me about... Uh, what Paul has done about taking this big idea of raising our kids and doing it in a way that's godly and that honors him and which sets them up in the best way. 
and he's broken it up into some bite-sized chunks that are a lot more manageable for us because he talks about training, right? And training has to do with how people act. We train people to act and behave in a particular way. And so in training, we're talking about with kids activating obedience as a skill set. And then he talks about instruction, which is different, right? Um, uh, Training has to do with the behavior, but instruction has to do with the mind, about learning how to think, about knowing what's true. It's about developing a mindset. And then on top of instruction and training, he mentions that these are of the Lord. And that really speaks to who we love and the relationships that are primary. It speaks to cultivating a heart set in the life of our kids as well. And so, so we're going to take these one chunk at a time and try to tear out of here a little bit what Paul has in mind. He says, part of what is inherent here is that God calls us as parents to activate a skill set of obedience. Part of what we do to raise our kids, to uh, train them, is to activate within them a skill set of obedience. Because one thing is absolutely consistent amongst all kids everywhere. The skill set of obedience is naturally missing at birth. Kids don't arrive with a tendency towards obedience. They arrive, as we all did, with a sin nature that is, that is self-oriented, that is oriented toward personal comfort and desire. Obedience is not first a character trait, it's a skill set that needs to be trained into the kids that God has given us to raise. Why is it important? Well, any of you that have had kids for any length of time will know that eventually there comes this time when we see danger approaching our young kids and, and we tell them, stop, don't keep going. And from our, from our perspective, we see that there's danger ahead and if they'll obey us, they'll be fine. But if they don't, there's going to be trouble. For me, that moment came on a bike ride when my daughter was just five. We were driving along together, crossing a street. A car didn't notice the stop sign. It was getting to do a, a rolling uh, right turn right where my daughter was scheduled to be on her bike ride. So I just yelled, Kendra, stop. And because she has a good mom, that skill set of obedience had been, had been cultivated. It had been developed. It had been activated in her. And when she heard stop, she did. And she stopped sharp as the car went right in front of her and peeled on away the skill set of obedience had produced safety. That's one of the reasons that requiring obedience, especially in our young kids, becomes so important because eventually it becomes a matter of safety. But it's not just safety, it's our sanity as well. Um, the, the general tone and timber of a family where obedience has been taught and activated is much, uh, much at a much higher level. And ultimately and finally, it's not really so important that we make sure that our kids obey us and that we get our way as parents. It's the obedience that we teach our kids in the youngest years that becomes and translates into their obedience to God for the rest of their life. When we envision what we want for our kids, we want kids who spend their life saying, God, yes, I will follow you. God, yes, I will pursue you. God, yes, I will obey you. I'll live the life you want me to live. I'll go in the direction you want me to go. God, I am yours to command. That's what we want for our kids. But that kind of obedience doesn't emerge out of nowhere. In in many ways, it emerges out of the skill set of obedience that we consistently teach and require of our kids and activate in them as we're raising them. That's why obedience is important. That's the training. Training deals with the skill set, and particularly the skill set of obedience. But Paul also mentions instruction, right? And that has to do with teaching our kids how to think and teaching them what's true and teaching them to find that in the words 
of Scripture. You see, God calls parents also to develop a mindset of biblical truth in their children. We're called to train them to obey, but we're also called to teach them what is true and how to find that in the Scripture and how to allow Scripture to define what is true for the course of a lifetime. And you can't do, it's not okay to do just one. What happens, theoretically, if you could major, wave your magic wand and make your children completely obedient and just teach them the skill set of obedience so that they never missed it? I know, it's a long shot, but just go with me, okay? What if that could happen? What if you had been able to teach your kids at 100% efficiency to be obedient to you? That's great. All the way up until the time when in a very developmentally appropriate way they become teenagers, and all of a sudden the people that are calling the shots and who are of the most interest in their lives are no longer you, the parent, but are their group of teenage peers. If all they have at that point is the skill set of obedience, and what they're hearing are the instructions of their peers, they're in a tough way. They're in a tough shape. They won't, they won't be equipped to think through the implications of what they're being asked to do or to participate in. Teaching the skill set of obedience is important, but it is not nearly enough. We're also called to develop a mindset of biblical truth. When uh, Moses was just getting ready to lead the children of Israel into the Promised Land, they'd come out of Egypt, God had given them the Ten Commandments, Moses had shared the, the law and the Ten Commandments with the Israelites, and now they were getting ready to go in. Moses wanted to make sure that they were equipped um, to go into this new land led by the truth of God's teachings and his laws and his statutes. And so this is what he said to them, having presented the law to them. He said, these are the commands and the decrees and the laws that the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. And he says, so that you and your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you so that you may enjoy long life. He says, look, I've called you out of Egypt, and now I've given you this way to live. This is truth. This is goodness. I'm defining for you what is right, real, true, and good. I've done that for you. And it's not just for you, but it's for you and for your kids. And it's not just for you and for your kids, but it's for their kids as well. The idea is this truth, this sense of what is real and good and true, this is something to be passed on from generation to generation to generation. That's part of the call on a parent. And so Moses continues. He says, these commandments that I give you today, they're to be on your hearts. You're to impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And the people of Israel actually ended up doing this. They would uh, write down words of scripture, put them on a little scroll and tie them on a band and they would actually wear them around their head and bind them to their arms. They would inscribe things on the doorposts of their home. The idea is this, they made it absolutely impossible for children to grow up in their home without constantly being shown the significance and the power and the truth of what God has said. So you may not be tying things around your head. You may not be binding them to your arms. You may or may not be inscribing things on the doorposts of your home. But the call to you remains the same as a parent. What are you doing in your home to make sure that it is impossible for your children to grow up without being dynamically impacted by the power and the truth 
and the significance of what God has shown to be true in the words of Scripture. here's, Here's maybe one simple way to do that. Just a simple way. While we're up here talking today, many of our kids are down there talking about God and His Word as well. Some of them are going to come up to you with a beautifully scribbled piece of paper with multicolored crayons inside the lines, outside of the lines. I'm sure they left some crayons on the table. I mean, what they're going to show you is not going to look like a highly developed study in Scripture. But I promise you that our volunteers and our teachers down there have made a connection between what they were coloring and something that God has shared. And it's your job as a parent not just to go pick up your kids and get them checked out and get off to lunch, but it's your responsibility as a parent to go down to pick up your kid and help uh, reinforce that connection between that activity that they did and something that they're learning about God. To talk to them about the lessons or the stories or the activities or the crafts and what they mean to reinforce and to push deep down into their lives the reality that what they're studying down here matters and it's truth and it makes a difference. So that whether your kids are very, very young or they're getting older and they're moving out to the greenhouse with the fifth and sixth graders or middle school or high school or whatever point along the way, talking with them about the things that they're learning, about the things, that, places that they're going and what, uh, the ways that Scripture is being implemented in their life is a huge part of that. Because to fulfill our call as godly parents, we don't just need to train them in obedience, we need to teach them how to think, and that thinking begins with the established truth of God's Word. So Paul mentions training, and that has to do with the skill set of obedience, and then he mentions instruction, which has to do with the mindset of truth and a truth that is found in God's Word. But it's not just any instruction, it's not just any training, it's the training and the instruction of the Lord. And that actually speaks to the orientation of our hearts towards God and about our relationship with Him. You see, in addition uh, to the instruction and training, God calls parents to cultivate a heart set of devotion to Him. It's not enough to have kids who behave well and are obedient although that's a part of the program. It's also not enough to have kids who know a lot about the Bible and can quote verses and understand a lot about truth. That's good, but it's insufficient as far as it goes. The third piece of that triangle is this, cultivating uh, a heart set of kids who are, in addition to being obedient and knowledgeable, kids whose hearts are devoted to the God whom we serve. Turning hearts towards the kids, uh, the hearts of our kids towards the Lord in every imaginable way that we can. In that same passage where Moses was writing, he actually spoke out what is one of the central passages of the entire Old Testament. He said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. When asked about which was the greatest commandment, this was the one Jesus went to and he quoted. He says, This is at the center right here. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength. And part of our parenting task is to cultivate within our kids a heart set of devotion that's in that manner. And so the question is, where is that going to come from? How do we do that? How do we cultivate a passion for God in our kids? And the answer, quite simply, is to develop a passion of our own for who God is and for what he's doing and for our relationship with him. I was going to ask you how your kids would answer the question, hey, what are your parents 
really excited about? What are, you, what are your parents passionate about? What drives them? I wonder how they would answer that. I know the kinds of things they would think about. They'd probably do a quick, as they'd wonder like, gosh, well, where do mom and dad spend their time? What do they talk a lot about? Where, where do they spend resources, time and money and different stuff and energy? What are the things that seem to interest them? Those are the things, because please understand, your children, at whatever age they are, I guarantee you they understand what you're passionate about. Because you show them what you're passionate about every day. Some of you are doing it with great intentionality. Some of you are doing it without really knowing it. But all of us are showing our kids every day what we're passionate about. I ended up being a person who loves books and, uh, and literary art and poetry and things like that. And part of the reason that I do is because my mom made time and sat down and read with me a ton. And we talked about what we were reading and, and how it developed and all those sorts of things. And it, and it ended up being something that just became a part of who I am. My dad um, spent countless hours talking with me about both music and sports, two of his great passions. And uh, as a result, I have them as well. Like, you may not think it's a big deal to sit down with Dad and talk about the infield fly rule or what's different between a charge uh, or a block in basketball, but those things matter when you're passionate about it. And my dad's passion for sports and my dad's passion for music as well rubbed off on me simply because they were demonstrated as passions of his. I'd, I'd love to, I want to also highlight a couple of ways that my parents' priorities made perhaps the most profound difference for me. In the elementary school years, I don't think I have a single memory of getting up in the morning and heading out to the kitchen that doesn't include my dad sitting there reading his Bible from before I got there to after I went and left back. And I don't think during those elementary school years I have a single memory of my mom uh, doing a single Bible study at church that didn't involve her coming back home and kind of dumbing it down for a six-year-old kid and starting to ask questions of me about this Bible study that she had just learned somewhere else. And it's not just the knowledge that I gained along the way. It's I perceived inherently in a way that I could not ignore. There's something incredibly important because of the amount of time, because of the amount of attention, because of the amount of passion that they naturally lived out. They weren't trying to teach me and demonstrate to me that it was important. It just was. And kids have a way of seeing what just is. If you want kids who have a heart set of absolute devotion to the Lord, there's really only one way, and that's to develop a heart set of devotion yourself in, in a way that's so real, so authentic, and so permeating that your kids can't help but see it. And when that's in place, uh, their own devotion will follow. There's something about our passion. There's something about the nature of our example. There's something about the time that we choose to spend which sends very clear messages to our kids about what we love with our heart and our soul and with our strength. So in wrapping up, um, one of the things I'm very aware of as a parent in talking about the instruction and the training and doing that in the way of the Lord, I realize I am so imperfect and I am so flawed. And as a parent, I need God's intervention in my life, helping me to do that along the way. Because parenting happens moment by moment, in the moment, encountering new situations every moment of the day. 
and we need to hear God's voice. We need him to guide and direct us. We need God's help in that. And so I'm going to pray for us in just a moment for that. I also, want, I also recognize that there are many of us that when we look at our kids, um, we may be fearful. Maybe they're a little bit older. Maybe that they're, they're at that point where they're starting to make some decisions which are frightening. And we see the impact and the consequences of those choices. And we realize they're in a very difficult place and we just don't know what to do about it. That can be very fear-invoking. We're going to ask God to intervene in those places as well. It's a high calling to be a parent. It's a huge uh, responsibility. And it it is only by God's grace and with his strength that we can do it well. And so let's pray. Heavenly Father, I really want to begin... Uh, praying along with and alongside uh, those who may be in looking at their kids right now and they're fearful because their kids are not in a good place. Maybe we're seeing patterns that are heading in a negative direction. Maybe we're seeing changes in attitude and behavior that we don't understand. God, maybe they've kind of got to that place in their development where it's really tough for us to know exactly what our role is anymore. God, all of us, we just... We lay our kids and the kids of this congregation before you and say, God, as much as we love them and as much as our lives are tied up and wrapped up in loving them and caring for them and raising them, God, we know you love them more and we know that you love them better. So God, where where an intervention of the Spirit is needed, we pray that you would break through and that you would uh, set free those of our kids who are in a place where they need to be set free. God, for those maybe who are not doing well physically and are in need of healing, God, would you heal our kids and would you make them whole? God, for those of our kids who have got themselves into a difficult circumstance, Lord, would you be the one who just identifies a way out of that and who draws them into a deeper and better relationship with you? And God, for all in this room who are parents and who, who feel just the weight of the calling and the burden of how how far short we come. Lord, I want to pray that you would be equipping each person in this room who's a parent to be a great parent. Lord, this week I want to pray in that moment of uh, confrontation or maybe even conflict, God, would you give us words of wisdom, just the right words to speak into that situation which bring peace and wholeness and resolution. God, would you give us creativity and help us find new ways to show our kids how much we love them. And God, would you continue to move upon our hearts in our relationship with you? God, would you fuel the fires of our own passion for you in a way that ends up being real contagious for the way our kids want to pursue you as well? These are the things that we pray this morning in Jesus' name.